Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for coming. And uh, if you're new at the church uh, this morning, we've been going over a series called Foundations. Uh, there's a metaphor that keeps running throughout the Bible that uh, the Christian life is like building a house. So you want to build it right. If you've got a house that's going to last the test of time, you've got to make sure the foundation is right and it can weather all the storms. And uh, there's another metaphor that also goes alongside that, that uh, Paul says the Christian life is also a war. So it's not just that you're trying to build something, but you're also trying to defend it at the same time. If you think of it like if uh, you lived in a gated community and all your neighbors were friendly, you wouldn't have to lock your doors and you wouldn't have to have a surveillance system or anything like that. But the, the picture he uses is that we live in, a, we live in a, a place or a community that everything else is against us, that everything wants to tear down what we've just built. And so uh, most of you would know somebody or at least know a friend of a friend who's gone and done a tour in Afghanistan or something like that. And when they go, they have to wear armor. They have to protect themselves and have the right gear uh, for the war that they go into. So uh, leading up to that, Aaron's going to read our passage this morning, and uh, then, I'll, then I'll get to it. Okay, so I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and, having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thanks, Aaron. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning, and I pray that you'd help us to realize the, the war that we're in, even though we don't see with our eyes, we're still in it, and that uh, we'd walk away with hope, knowing that uh, you give us the victory, Lord, through this, this armor. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Diablo 3 just came out. It's the most pre-ordered game in the history of video games, and uh, if you don't know what that is, Diablo means devil. So uh, I've got a friend who I went to high school with, and he played the second one so much that he ended up dropping out of university. So it's really popular, but uh, it happens. Uh, but some parents don't want their kids to play that game because of the name and also just the, the violence and the gameplay and stuff. And what they're thinking is, you know, this is going to influence my son or daughter in the wrong way, and I want to try and raise them in the right way, and uh, we think we're going to do them a favor by not letting this in the house and stuff like that. And uh, growing up in the Maritimes, all of us would know that uh, it's pretty common for you to believe that there's right, that there's wrong, that there's good, there's evil. Uh, I don't think too many people have uh, a struggle with thinking that there's real evil in the world, you know, we hear about freak jobs like Luke McNaughta or the John Coney thing where he was taking people and, and making them child soldiers. Or I've got a friend who's a history buff and he was telling me about some of the, the war crimes Nazis would do. So we know that there's evil out there. And uh, sometimes if you're a reflective and honest person, you can look inside and say, I think there's evil inside me too. There's some kind of dark desires that I, that I feel inside me sometimes to do what's wrong. Um, but the difference between, I guess, where the Bible leaves us when it comes to evil and what maritimers believe is uh, we're taught through doctors and psychology and stuff like that 
that the reason we do wrong or the reason other people do wrong is basically nurture or nature. So it's some combination between the two of you're either born this way, you have inherited certain genes from your parents and chemicals in your brain, and uh, maybe you didn't get enough sleep or certain foods you ate, and that's the nature of your, of your disposition. You know? So you have questions like, uh, does alcoholism run in your family because it's going to be passed along, or um, somebody who has a mental illness, we would always chalk that up to a chemical imbalance or something like that. It's their nature. And then on the flip side, uh, you've got someone like B.F. Skinner. If you've taken psychology classes, he's a popular name. And he really champions um, the nature side of things. So the reason we are what we are and we believe and do what we do is because of the environment we live in or the way we were raised. And uh, so you'd have sayings like, what goes into the mind comes out in a life. Um, I wa- whoever watched the Bowling for Columbine documentary where they try and explain why did those young boys hurt all those people at the school and they had different reasons, but all of it comes back to, well, you know, they listened to too much Eminem and hate music, or they played Diablo and, and violent video games, or uh, their parents weren't nurturing them the right way. So it normally stops there with, with uh, the world we live in in the Maritimes. And the Bible, on one hand, says that's right. And we call it the world and the flesh. So the flesh is that those carnal or wrong desires inside all of us. And the world would be the environment around us and how it's trying to shape us or mold us into a certain pattern. But the Bible doesn't stop there, and it actually says the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is what some, most people would really stumble on, that there's evil in the world. Yeah, I get that. But that there's spiritual forces or wrong, evil spirits trying to manipulate us and hurt us and, and again, form us into a certain way to live. But this is exactly what Paul says in the passage. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities, cosmic powers over this dark age. So we're not fighting a physical battle as a Christian. When I was saying before about how that we want to build up the right house of God, but all these things want to tear it down, there's no physical force that's going to come at us, right? No one's going to knock on your door in a red pajama suit and a pitchfork and say, yeah, I'm here to mess with you. Um, but he's out there, even though... With our five senses, we can't see him, we can't touch him, or any of that stuff. The devil is real. The Bible makes no apologies about it. But usually when people talk about the devil, there's two wrong extremes people fall into. The first is they're afraid of him. They give him almost too much power. They treat him like God. They would think that he can read your mind, or that he's everywhere, that he's all-powerful. So people can get so paranoid, it's almost like anything bad that happens to them, oh, that was the devil. And the other extreme is, well, you've heard the expression, um, the greatest trick that the devil has ever played is convincing people he doesn't exist. It's that you don't pay him any respect. You don't see that he is legitimate, and uh, it just doesn't factor into your life whatsoever. But I think the, way that, uh, the best way to go about it is to treat the devil or satanic warfare, or spiritual warfare, the same way we look at germs. So germs are invisible. You can't see them. And a couple hundred years ago, people's life expectancies were a lot shorter because they didn't pay them any respect. They didn't know about them. But nowadays, we wash our hands, we clean the toilet, we brush our teeth, hopefully not in that order. But uh, because we know, we've been told that there's little tiny, little tiny viruses or bacteria floating around, and if you don't do something about it, they will hurt you even though you can't see it at first. And so that's the right way to go about it. We want to we know that the... There is evil forces out there that are trying to hurt us, but we don't have to be so um, afraid of them that we, so to speak, you know, open up a bar of soap every time we wash our hands and those people who are uh, hypochondriacs. We just 
want to have, on one hand, a respect and an understanding that there is evil forces or Satan out there to hurt us, but at the same time, we don't have to be afraid of him. And the reason is, like Aaron read out, is because we've got this armor that God's given us. So the way we would go about this is putting on the armor. That's our responsibility. Three times in the passage it says, put on, put on, put on. So Paul is saying, as if God's given you something, he's given you this protection, but it's your responsibility to take that on yourself. And the way we come at knowing how, uh, how the devil is going to fight against us is the same thing he's been doing for 6,000 years. He's, he's not new at anything. He's basically been driving around in a cul-de-sac in circles doing the same thing. So when we read the Bible, when he tempted people or he accused people or he deceived them, that's the same stuff that he's going to come at us with. So deception, accusation, temptation, D-A-T. I, I couldn't come up with a catchy uh, acronym, so... So for the first is deception. Oh, sorry. What I'm going to do is basically take, there's six pieces of the armor. So I'm going to take each, um, for each one of those three schemes of the devil, I'm going to take two pieces of armor and pair them up. Not that that's the only way that armor protects you. The armor protects you for all three of them. But I think it's just easiest if I give examples. Um, So I'll do it this way. So deception. The Bible calls uh, the devil the father of lies. And right back from day one in the Garden of Eden, He didn't possess Adam and Eve. He didn't take them over. He lied to them. He tricked their minds, and then they did something. He deceived them. And this is really, really um, serious if you think about it, because with temptation, if I tempted you, you'd know you were being tempted. Or if I accused you of something, you'd know you were being accused. But if I deceived you, you wouldn't know that. If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't actually be deceived. So it's like someone who's blind being told that there's no such thing as sight. And the way we fight against deception is the belt of truth and the uh, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So first, uh, the belt of truth. I think Paul puts this first in the whole list that Aaron read out. Because if you don't believe that there is such a thing as truth, then the rest of the pieces of the armor won't fit. It's like trying to go to war without a belt on. If you run too far, your pants are going to fall down. You're not going to get very far. So normally... Normally with people in, uh, in the day and age we live, not all everybody would believe that there's an absolute truth. So you would hear sayings like, um, well, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or you need to find out what's right for you, and I need to find out what's right for me, what fits for me. Or this is a big one, follow your heart and do it your own way. So basically, those are simple enough phrases, but I, I'm going to try and explain this in a way that everybody can understand. So I'm not going to use words like metaphysics and epistemology, which everyone will be like, Episto- what? did he just swear? Like, so underneath those everyday common phrases, you hear it in music, you hear it all around you in conversations, there's a philosophy or there's a, there's a certain principle that's being taught. And most people wouldn't even realize that when they're using those, those phrases, they're, they're basically um, condoning that. And what it's saying is that there is no truth, that there isn't a bedrock reality that bears down on everyone, that basically everything is, if you know the word subjective or objective, everything is just basically how you perceive what's real and how things should go. But that's not the truth. For most of history, it's only been the last couple of hundred years that people even begun to think this way. For most of history, it was pretty plain and simple. There's right, there's wrong, there's black, there's white, there's good, there's evil. Everything is pretty plain and simple. And what you had to do is just find the truth. But now you have to even back up one step further 
and, and I'll help you show why that's, that, that way of thinking is false. Think about this sentence. If I said, I don't speak a word of English. I don't speak a word of English. Can you see the flaw in that? I'm using an English sentence to say that I don't speak English. You see how that works? So when someone's saying, there is no truth, they're using a truth claim to say there is no truth claims. Or when someone says the only thing you can know absolutely is that you can't know anything absolutely. You see what they're doing there? They're using the thing they're trying to disprove. I'll go at another way. Most people who really buy into this stuff, they're hypocrites. I'm not trying to be mean, but no one actually lives that way, right? If you said 2 plus 2 equals 5 or 16, they would say, you're wrong. It's 4. Or if you gave them directions when they asked for Moncton, if you gave them directions up to Woodstock or Miramichi, you would say, no, you gave me the wrong directions. And uh, you ask them to drive on the left-hand side of the road in Canada or to jump off uh, a, a tall building because gravity isn't real. Every day we make decisions as if reality exists. And it's true for you and it's true for me and it's the same for everybody. So there is a truth. And when someone says, uh, do what's right for you, that's, that's really not the truth. That there is one way that is right. There is one set of beliefs and way to think that is true, that lines up with what exists. Okay, So I know that's deep and everything like that, but that's the belt of truth. And what... What that leads us to, it should lead us to, this desire in our hearts to say, well, what is real? What is true? How do I make up my beliefs? How do I decide what's right, what's wrong? And God has taken the whole um, puzzle out of the thing, and he's given us the Bible. That's the sword of the Spirit. So we call it, um, in the passage, he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is another name for the Bible. The technical name for the Bible is the Holy Bible. And if you break that apart, holy means set apart or other or um, different, and Bible just means book. So the Holy Bible is a set-apart book. All the other books that's ever been written, you could put them in one corner and say, the one thing they have in common is that they're all written by people, men or women. But this book, the Holy Bible, the Holy Book, it's set-apart, is written by God. God knows the truth. God knows what's real and what's false and what's right and what's wrong and what the things we should believe and what are wrong beliefs and so he writes it all down in the word. So in 2 Timothy 3, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and uh, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, that we may be equipped for every good work. So he lets us know. So that's the sword of the spirit. So when we're taking into account the devil's going to try and deceive you, he's going to try and trick you, you don't have to wander around through life basically on your own trying to figure out what God has shown. We know it in the Bible. And I'll, I'll leave on this uh, illustration here. If you've worked in retail or uh, even at a gas station or something like that, you'll, sometimes you'll see, I know at Victory Meat Market they have it, they'll show what a counterfeit bill looks like, they'll point out different things. And uh, Sorry, they, they have a real bill and they show what's, what the real bill looks like and then they'll have counterfeit and show examples so that people can't basically give away counterfeit money. So here's the real McCoy, $5. I actually didn't have a counterfeit bill. And uh, here's a billion dollars with our buddy C.H. Spurgeon on it. It says United States, even though he's British, so somebody made a mistake. It's just a joke, right? We've all seen these type of things. So if you're wondering about, okay, how do I protect myself against deception? I know the Bible's true. I know it's the Word of God. But how do I actually put that armor on? How do I use it? What you don't do is study a counterfeit. 
when you want to know what a real bill looks like and how to de decide what's a counterfeit and what's real, you study the real McCoy. You look at all the ways that they design it and all the stuff like that. And then, because you know what the real deal looks like, then you can point out the flaws in other bills. So our main goal isn't to understand all the other um, beliefs and ways in which people go about their lives. We're, our job is to learn the Bible. Now, in that, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we want to be up on the times and understand what other people think and stuff like that. And we want to be sensitive to other people. But our job, when it comes to protecting ourselves against deception, is predominantly to learn the Bible, to know what's real, what God has said. So, uh, the second way the devil comes at us is accusation. So, he accuses us all the time. In the book of Revelation, it says that the, he accuses the brethren, that's Christians, day and night. I don't think there's any other passage that describes uh, the devil's activity where it says he does something day and night. It means he's always at it. it it's like his bread and butter. He, he's always dripping in negativity on your life. He's always trying to mess with your emotions and your head and make you feel worthless. Because if he, he, he knows this, and we've all experienced it, if you feel worthless, if you're depressed, you'll act worthless. You won't, you won't walk the way God wants because you think it's hopeless, there's no point, I'm a nobody. And so that's what he's trying to do, constantly bombard you with accusations. So this is kind of what Joe was talking about, um, one of the points he had last week about our identity, our identity in Christ. And uh, the more you know who you are in Christ and the love that God has for you, the more you can fend off the accusations of the devil. Uh, to put it another way, uh, we've, we've, down through the ages, Christianity has always called it imputed righteousness. So uh, think of the breastplate of righteousness. When Gladiator, uh, think of Russell Crowe, he's got those, that, or a SWAT team with a bulletproof vest. It protects your vital organs. It protects your heart, your emotions. And uh, imputed righteousness, if you break it down, imputed is, I know it's a big word, but all it means is it's an old accounting term that means it was transferred into your account, basically. So think of it, Jesus had all kinds of money in his account, and he imputed it, or he transferred it into your account. So the mission of Jesus was to basically make people who weren't good in themselves good in God's eyes, or to make them righteous. So how is Jesus looked at by God? Well, he's holy. He's blameless. He never sinned. He's perfect. He never gave in to temptation. He um, always knew God's way, and he was never deceived. Um, he was the apple of God's eye. Um, one of my favorite verses when I come to this kind of accusation stuff in my own life is uh, looking at it from John 17. In the last verse, it says, he's praying to the Father, and he says, that they may know the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So he's saying there, the way that the Father loves Jesus, he's, all those things I just said, he's accepted, he's perfect in God's eyes. God has no, no reason at all to not love him and be happy with Jesus. That's the way he looks at you if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. That's what becoming a Christian was. It's, being, it's realizing, I'm not good in God's eyes. I have sinned. I have participated in the darkness. But Jesus hasn't. He lived a perfect life, and I reach out and I grab that, and I trust in what he's done for me. So... Um, just to give some examples of how this kind of works out in real life. And it's, it's so important. If you, don't get, if you don't really get that deep into your heart, so that basically your instinct is that I am in Christ, loved by God, he always wants to talk to me, he, he's always willing to, to bless me. If you don't understand that position you have in Christ, your life will be like a roller coaster. So if you're 
um, doing good, so to speak, then you'll feel close to God and you'll feel like he wants you to be around him. But if you've blown it or if you've gotten sin, then all of a sudden you feel like you should be in the doghouse for a while and that God doesn't want to talk to you, that he um, wants you to basically hold out for him or wait a while. But Jesus didn't say that he was the way to the way. He said he was the way. So we just go straight to Jesus whenever we've sinned and say, I am, I'm sorry for what I've done, but I put on your righteousness. Um, So afterwards in the coffee line, you guys can uh, push and shove your way to the front and say, you know, I'm righteous in Christ, so I can, I can get my coffee here first. Um, but it's, it's so true, because like I said before, if you really feel like hopeless and you feel like you're no good and you start to believe the accusations of the devil, you're not a good sister, you know, no one wants to, when you pray out loud, nobody wants to hear your voice, um, you blew that when you said that point there, or... Um, you know, you never do anything right. That's all the steady stream of this accusations that the devil throws at you. And uh, you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to be secure in your identity in him. And uh, one of the ways that you take what you know is true and you bury it deeper inside you is the shoes, the shoes of the armor. Um, Paul says, uh, sorry, it's the, the gospel of peace. I know a lot of people, um, when they think of this, when they've, They've heard the armor of God before. Most people think um, that the shoes are the gospel of peace themselves. And, but it, it could be true, but I think differently because he says, as shoes for your feet, he doesn't say, as shoes for your feet, put on the gospel of peace. He says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the actual armor of the shoes is a readiness. It's, it's ability to be agile. Think of a, a soldier. They need to dodge things and move around stuff. And this... Almost everybody that I read on this all agrees that this is a, Paul is using a reference to an Old Testament verse from Isaiah that says, um, how blessed on the, are, the, are the feet on the mountaintops of the messenger who comes to bring good news. So it's someone who in their heart is ready to bring the good news of peace to somebody. Um, so we don't mean to, but we easily start to slip back into legalism or we start to slip back into God loves me because of my performance and how I'm doing. And so, even though it's totally, totally right to, to share the faith, I think this, what Paul brings it up at this point, is because it's a form of self-defense. If you're making yourself ready, and if your heart is to share the good news, with, uh, good news of Jesus with other people, it takes what you know about the righteousness of Christ, and it starts to make it more real to you. Because it's like putting a stake in the ground. Once you start to open up your mouth and start to tell other people, or have that desire to do that, then it starts to cut through the fog, and you, and you realize, no, there is those who are outside of Christ and they're not righteous, but they need to come in. But those who are, hey, we are righteous. So this happened to me. Uh, I'm sure it happens to everybody when you, when you actually share the faith. Like um, a couple weeks ago, I was at work, and uh, a guy that I was working with, his family member is close to dying, and so we were, we were talking about that. And I, was trying to, I knew what I was doing. I was trying to thread that needle, and I said, um, what, what about you, man? Like, I, sensitively, but what, what's going to happen to you when you die, when you, when you kick the bucket? And... Uh, and, uh, and so he's, he just, you know, said basically he didn't know. He didn't have any hope. He was afraid of dying like most people are. And I was able to share the good news. Hey, you can have hope, you know. You can be found right in God's eyes. You can be righteous. I don't think I use that word, but the same idea. And I got just as much out of that conversation as he did, honestly. I'm, like, sitting there listening to myself being like, that's a really good deal. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, can I become a Christian? And, 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 and I think... 
I think everyone knows what I'm, what I'm talking about, that the more you make that a priority in your life, it does something to you where it, it takes those things and it digs them deeper into you. Um, okay, and the other thing the shoes do is they protect you from wild goose chases. I think if the devil can't get you to basically lie down and just not want to live for God, I think the other thing he's going to do is get you to make first things second and second things first or to go off on some crazy tangent. And I'm serious. It, it, I've met many Christians who are, they love God, they love the Lord, they, they want to serve him, but their priorities are these pet doctrines like dinosaurs and the age of the earth and uh, what's going to happen in the end times and is Oprah Winfrey the Antichrist and what about Israel and predestination and they've they become huge issues in their life that they're more concerned about telling people about these issues than they are telling people about Jesus. And that's what the shoes are. They protect you. They make you agile. You can float around obstacles. I- I'm serious, so it happens. I've, I know a couple in town, they've invited me multiple times to their house to uh, hear talks on Israel and how one day God's going to save all these people uh, in Israel and stuff. And like, praise God, it's going to happen. Fantastic. But I don't live in Israel. I live in Fredericton. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm, and so, like, let's get together and let's pray for Fredericton that night as opposed to hear these tapes. Do you see how it makes second things first? Like, the gospel, the readiness of the gospel, when you want to share that, it streamlines your life. Um, yeah. So, accusation comes at us to doubt who we are in Christ, but we know our position and we can make ourselves um, more ready when we want to see other people become righteous too. It drives that deep, down deeper into ourselves. Um, oh, yeah. No, I won't go into that. Okay, yeah, I will, because it really drove me nuts. In this room, a couple, about a year ago, I, I went and listened to this guy. He, was gonna, he gave a talk, it was a great talk, on um, creation science and how basically it's totally reasonable to believe that there is a God, that when you look at science, there's a reason to believe it's intelligently designed at things. And the room was packed. It was in this room. And uh, there was pr- there's got to be at least 100 people here who don't regularly go to church. In other words, they're not righteous in Christ yet, okay? So you'd think that would be a good opportunity to share, hey, have you heard about Jesus? But throughout the whole talk, even during the whole question and answer period, he never brought up Jesus once. And, it, and I'm just like twitching in my eye. It's like, if someone's going to hell, who cares how old a rock is? If it's 6,000 years or 6 million years, what difference does that make, okay? So putting on the readiness of the gospel makes you, again, prioritize and think straight um, so you can help people find righteousness in Christ. Last one that I'll go over is uh, temptation. So the devil, I think the, the only reason the devil can really get us to get involved in sin is because we're not happy with God. I'll say it one way. Uh, this is a good verse in Proverbs 27, verse 7. One who is full loathes honey. But one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. So if you've just ate a really good meal and someone offers you something, you, it's, not a, it's not tempting to say yes because you're full, right? But when you're hungry, everything bitter looks good to you. It doesn't matter if it's good for you or not. You want it. Um, I'll put it another way. You ever seen Man vs. Wild? Bear Grylls? Okay. Normal situation. Would you ever drink toilet water? No. But he's been in some pretty hairy situations, and he drinks some pretty um, questionable things because he's in that situation, okay? And so I think when we're not happy with God, it's like our soul is starving for joy. It's starving for something. And Satan comes with a promise 
hey, if you sin, this will make you happy. It's like you're in a desert and uh, there's a mirage out there. You know what a mirage is? Someone, they think they're, they're seeing an oasis and they walk to it and it turns out, ah, it's just dirt or uh, sand. So I think that's what sin is. It's basically a false promise that you can be happy if you get involved in this stuff. And how you fight against temptation is put on the helmet of salvation. Um, Aaron shared something this morning about how, you know, how can we not love you? You know, you're awesome. When you, when you, met, when you take on that helmet, it's, think of a helmet. It protects you from headshots, right? If, you, if you're playing hockey and you get hit, you can take it any results. But if you get one in the head, you're going to flop over like a, a sack of potatoes, right? So we protect our mind. We protect the way we think by thinking of our salvation, so we think about heaven. We think about the glory that awaits us when we're going to die. We, we can backtrack and think over the last X amount of years since I became a Christian, God's done this in my life and this in my life and this in my life. And it stirs up this happiness with the Lord. Or worship, right? It comes out this morning. We're, we're delighting in God. Normally, after church service, you're probably the least susceptible to be tempted because you put on that helmet of salvation. You're thinking about the truths of God. The other way we uh, pr- protect ourselves is the shield of faith. So this is the last piece of the armor. Um, in Roman days, their shields were bigger than the ones we have now. We just, like in movies, they have little ones that, that protect your arm or stuff like that. In Roman days, they had a shield that you could literally cover and hide your entire self from. So they were the size of the warrior, or the man that was carrying it. And Paul says, put on, put that on, take that on. Faith is a choice. So even though sometimes our emotions or our past experiences tell us, you know, don't believe God or don't trust God in this area or something like that. We put, take the choice to hold the shield of faith, the flaming arrows of the devil, right? The bullets that he's sending at us, those temptations to have unbelief in our heart and things like that. We need to take a choice. We need to make that personal decision to hold that up. Um, there's a good example in Luke chapter 8 when there's the famous passage where, uh, there's a storm, and the disciples are all going to die. They're in a boat, and uh, the storm's going to capsize the boat. And they're afraid for their lives. And they wake up Jesus and say, you know, you don't care about us. And he gets up, and with one word, he calms the storm. And then he turns to them, and he challenges them, or rebukes them, and he says, where is your faith? It's like they had put it away in a suitcase or something like that. They, it's, the way he says it, it's like, you can put that on. Where is your faith? It's not that they don't have faith or they need more faith. They're just not using it. So... The shield of faith is, uh, like I said, we put it on. We make the choice. I'll, I'll give an example that that's, uh, makes sense for our church. Our church is a pretty rowdy church. You know, I think everyone can agree with that. I invited a guy about a month ago, and he was like, well, what's it like? And, and I was saying, I described it, and he said, well, it sounds like a black church. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know, from down south, they're always clapping and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's like a black church with white people. But... You know what I mean? There's, there, everyone gets happy. There's a lot of emotion. People are, are happy to be with God. And I think sometimes the Satan will come and tempt you with unbelief. So somebody will pray out and you think, oh, they're just, that's just emotion. They're just working that up. Or uh, someone will c- come with a prophecy or, or say, I think God is saying this to us. And there's this critical spirit in your heart that's saying, I don't think so. Basically, the attitude to look at everything as a cup that's half empty as opposed to a cup that's half full. Well, putting on the shield of faith is having what Jesus wanted, that childlike faith that you just, you're more into believing. You're giving people the benefit of the doubt. You're saying, I, I'd rather see this as true than not true. It's that, that spirit of support and faith. 
Okay, so I've talked about why we need the armor, because um, the devil is real, and there is a war that we're fighting against, and we have to take it seriously. But there's hope, and then we talked about um, how we put it on. We put on those six pieces, and uh, now I'm going to talk about the last point, which is whose it really is. Um, throughout, throughout the sermon, I kind of went at from the angle that uh, all six pieces are unique. So the sword is not the shield. They're all different. Um, but different people down through Christianity have said that's true, and then other people have said, well, actually, they're all kind of the same thing. They're, uh, you've heard the expression, two sides of the same coin. Well, since there's six, it's kind of like a, a dice, right? There's six sides to a dice. So it's like the sword is, is like the spirit, and the, the, spirits are the, the shoes are like the helmet. And I think both are right, um, because if you look at it, okay, I'm going to point out some scriptures, they're all pointing to one person, Jesus. So Ephesians 2 says, he is our peace. Psalm 27 says, he is our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1 says, he is our righteousness. Proverbs 30, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Um, obviously, the one in Isaiah about the feet on the mountaintops, the readiness of the gospel, that's Jesus. Um, John 1, very famous passage, he is the word of God. And John 17, he says, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth. So the armor really is Jesus. When we decide to take a stand against the schemes of the devil, we're putting on the Lord. Romans 13, it says, uh, put on the armor of light, which is Jesus Christ. So we, we hear that phrase all the time. Um, you know, I was doing it on my own strength, but I want to rely on God. And sometimes we can use that almost, too, we become too familiar with it that it's cliche or something, but it's so true. Jesus was tempted in every way. All the things that we'll face for the rest of our life, all the accusations or deceptions or temptations, everything, Jesus faced it and he won. He took it head on. Uh, Joe had brought that up a few weeks ago when uh, the devil, after he's done fasting, the devil comes to him. He starts to, if you break it down, those three things, he comes at his identity. Are you really the son of God? He tempts him with things. He, he accuses him of stuff. So we need to take on that armor by saying, I can't do this on my own, Jesus, but with you, I can do this. You've overcome. You've done everything um, the way that God wanted you to do, and I can't do it on my own, but come and help me. I want the truth. I want your righteousness, all that stuff. I think the best way to look at it is uh, it's a really good mental picture to have is like if Jesus is standing and there's, there's you and there's Jesus, and he's got all the armor of God on. He has it all on himself, but you don't have anything. You're unprotected, you're vulnerable, and the devil's coming at you, and instead of allowing you just to be blown over, he takes off what he has, and he puts it on you. He gives you his shield, he gives you his belt, all that. And so he's vulnerable, and he takes on the brunt of what the devil gives, okay? And uh, I'll, end, I'll end on this analogy. I think the Christian life, this is, uh, not, this is from uh, Neil Anderson. The Christian life, you could compare it to uh, a long street, a long road. And uh, at one end is Jesus, and at the other end is you. And there's nothing in the road aside from the two of you. There's no obstacles, there's no cars to climb over, nothing. So you can walk, you can run straight to him, and he bids you to come. He tells you to come to him. And the devil does not want this. And all along the way, there's houses or apartment buildings, and so... All he can do, he can't get on the road and stop you, but he can use his mouth, and he can lie to you. 
So at first he comes with exceptions, and he says, oh, that's not Jesus down there. Um, you, that's just a figment of your imagination. Turn around the other way. Jesus is actually the other way. And you can choose to believe that, and then you turn around and go the wrong way, even though Jesus is the other way. So in that situation, you know, no, there is truth. There is reality, and it's written in the Bible, and I'm going to read, and I know God's word, and that's the way he wants me to go. So you keep going down the road, and then a little farther along, um, the devil's there to accuse you. God, Jesus doesn't want to see you. You're hopeless. He doesn't like you. He doesn't even like your name. He just puts up with you because he has to. You might as well just sit down on the road and give up. And people can buy into those accusations and just wallow and basically sit there. But you can keep walking because you say, no, 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 no. The way God looks at Jesus is the way he looks at me. The way, he loves spending time with Jesus, so he wants to be with me. He wants me to come to him. And uh, the more you want to give that faith away to other people, it, like I said, it burns it deeper into your own heart. It becomes more real. So you keep going, and just before you get to Jesus, maybe the, the devil's hanging out of a window and saying, ah, oh, it's been such a long journey. It's so hot out. Why don't you come into my house? I've got, this, uh, I've got air conditioning and all this stuff for you. And he's tempting you. He's trying to draw you off the road. And so in that case, you can say, no, I put on the helmet of salvation. I know what awaits for me in glory. I know what Jesus is like when I get to him. I know he's brought me this far, and I know where he's going to bring me home. We, we sang about it in the, the last song, Be, my, Be Thou My Vision, right? And uh, you, you hold the shield of faith up to those, to those arrows. So um, like I said before, the, the two main things that I hope you walk away with today is knowing you're in a battle. You can't see it, but it's real. And whether no one, none of us want to be in it, but we are in it, okay? As Christians, when you believed, all the forces of hell have decided to come against you because of your faith in Christ. But Jesus, and this is the second point, that Jesus has provided the way. All the things that the devil wants to trip you up with, he tried it on Jesus and he failed. And that same Jesus, he lives in us and he clothes us with himself with those pieces of the armor. So you put that on. And there's so much hope um, for you when, you when you feel these schemes of the devil. There's, there's so much victory. So uh, I'll pray. Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you protect us. I thank you that you show us the way, Jesus. And I pray for myself and for all my brothers and sisters today, that we would know, that we would discern when uh, we're being spiritually attacked, God, and that we would put on the right pieces um, so that we can bring you glory, God, as uh, you're our God and, and you show us the way. In your name, Jesus, amen.